Hello. Thanks for listening and joining us on the Be Yourself Happy, Healthy, Hopeful podcast. I'm your host, Steph, a health promoter from the Bulimia Anorexia Nervosa Association here in Windsor, Ontario. On this podcast, we explore topics related to health, mental wellness, and creating a happy, healthy, and hopeful life full of opportunities for yourself. Hi, and thanks for being here. Today, my guest is Dr. Andrea DiNardo. Dr. DiNardo is a psychology professor at both Sinclair College and the University of Windsor. She's a TEDx speaker and a former school psychologist who applies positive psychology to facilitate personal growth and transformational change. Her psychology blog and TEDx talk, both called Thriving Under Pressure, were created in response to rising levels of student stress and anxiety. The purpose of both is to help individuals and groups develop coping skills in interactive, educational, and uplifting ways. Dr. DiNardo received her MA and PhD in psychology from Western University. Afterwards, she completed the postdoc internship and exam requirements of the College of Psychologists to become a fully registered psychologist in the provinces of Ontario. As a registered psychologist specializing in school and counseling psychology, Dr. DiNardo spent 18 years working with students, educators, and their families. She retired her psychology practice in 2016 to dedicate more time to psychology, teaching, speaking, and writing. In this episode, Dr. DiNardo and I speak about what positive psychology is, turning your perceived flaws into strengths by moving from self-criticism to self-compassion, post-traumatic growth and how adversity can be beneficial to us, boundaries around social media use, especially during the pandemic, the magic of prevention work, and maintaining hope. If you don't already know Dr. DiNardo or don't follow her online, i highly suggest you do. Dr. DiNardo has a way of putting together pieces of information that are so easily digestible and usable in daily life that can really do wonders in maintaining your mental health. Um, You can visit her website at drandreadonardo.com. She has tons of valuable information there and is active on social media channels like YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, as well as on LinkedIn. Visit the show notes to learn about all of those social media channels. I truly hope that you get something from this episode. I have no doubt that you'll fall in love with Dr. Donardo just as much as I have. Enjoy. All right. So here today I'm with uh, Dr. Andrea Donardo. You might know Dr. Donardo from... Um, being here in Windsor and her presence on social media and in the YQG community. Um, She is definitely so knowledgeable on all topics related to psychology and specifically some that really resonate with us at BANA like adversity and overcoming trauma and um, using failure as an opportunity to grow. So I'm so excited to have you here Dr. DiNardo. Thank you so much for having me. It has been, you don't realize this, it's probably been a dream for about 10 years to connect with Dana because I teach in the collaborative nursing program and I teach a health psychology course and I also, and within, and we'll talk about positive psychology, but within health psychology is the subset, which is positive psychology. And every semester I have them do a stress journal 
where they identify their major stressor. And really, independent of gender, about 40% of their stressors are related to body image. Mm-hmm. And it's so, right? Yeah. And it's tragic because they write about how much it brings them down. And as you know, as your work as a health educator, Stephanie, is that it is so independent of what's happening with them externally. And it's such a perceptual distortion. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just, I love the work that you do. So the opportunity to have this interview, to bridge the gap, to talk about our community is fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually unfortunately not surprised that that is such a like prominent um, stressor for many young people. And I say unfortunately because I wish it wasn't. Uh, but like you said, there's um, many pressures for young people and, um, and body image and how they're supposed to look. Um, but really the work does come from within, which is, it's, it, but that's such a process to learn what that is for a young person and how to develop a, a positive body image. So it's really good that they have a role model like you as well. Um, and I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, so I know you already mentioned that you are a professor, and I did record an intro, but just from the source I wanted to get um, from you, like who are you and what do you do and why are you passionate about this? I am passionate about psychology, period. And I'm passionate about psychology for everybody. And that's one of the reasons that I transitioned into being a full-time educator is that there's not enough access to self-knowledge, to self-awareness, and to really understand the fact that so much of this adversity, this trauma, this difficulty is developmental. So teaching in the nursing program, I'm... So I'm a registered psychologist. I graduated from Western in London in 1998, and I always had the dream of being a school psychologist. And I've been interested in school psychology because it's a way for everyone to have access to psychology. Mm-hmm. And when I moved to Windsor, uh, there I moved for a one-year contract. I'm not from Windsor, and it ended. And then there was a position in the BSDN nursing program with St. Clair and University of Windsor. And I started there in 2003, the school board invited me back, and I realized that the best way for me to get psychology out to everybody, which is really just who are we from a very scientific, Mm -hmm. developmental, call it all these things, perspective, that it was in the classroom. Like, essentially, if you work in the school board, you're support staff, but a classroom, you have direct access to students. So in a course of a year, I have as many as 500 students that I teach, and for about nine years, I taught at the university, too, and I write psychology textbooks and articles and a psychology blog and uh, and, <laughs> and psychology articles, and essentially any way that I can teach people about themselves to really help them with the unnecessary suffering. So as I talked about how I entered this conversation, Stephanie, about the body image and really the self-hate that everybody has, no matter how much education they get, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a certain subset, like we're, right, there's that, this built into you that you're never enough, and that it is, I don't want to say it's normal, but it's, it's because everybody has it. Yeah. No matter how many campaigns, everybody has it, (laughs) so that, that the best way for me, I want to be able to give people the tools, similar to you, this is your specialty, this would be part of what I do, 
to mm-hmm. show them that, you know, what, when you turn to your body image like that, when you're, you know, what is it in the course of the day that you would turn to that? And usually it's when they don't feel in control. So what are ways that they can feel more in control? For example, like something as simple as organizing their books, sitting mm-hmm. down to study, helping a neighbor, all of those things. So this is why psychology to me is important because it really teaches us about ourselves and uh, the more we understand ourselves and the people around us, the less hard we're going to be on ourselves. And that's where that questions around self-compassion versus self-criticism comes in. We're all going to do it. Like, yeah. me, this is the thing. We're so alike, all of us, but what differs is the intensity and the duration yeah. of what troubles us, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I like how you put it that way because, and when you're speaking about body image too, that no one is immune, but I don't think even the number of campaigns that exist out there, I still don't think like at a deep level, a lot of people even feel that they, they like they feel very alone in it still. Um, so um, like you said, like that early intervention, like the earlier we can do it, you being in school systems and um, at the college and university, the earlier they can learn that we're not alone and also I think the key there was really providing those simple tools um, right. is, is, is really where we see more success, where they get that intervention earlier and they can implement it earlier. And um, it, it's a better trajectory from there. Um, exactly. So yeah. as I hear you talking here, and this is every single article I've ever written has been based on a conversation like we're having right now. Yeah. So that what all of us, myself included, I'm not immune to it. My mom's not immune to it. My brother's not immune to it. Like, we all have it. And I think just saying that is important. But we're all going to say it in different ways because there's such a push, and we can talk about that too, for being vulnerable. But when you're vulnerable and it's beyond your threshold, online, for example, that can leave you with that whiplash effect yeah. where it's too much. So that also comes into... You know, I'll say to my young students, too, when they're, when they're suffering, this is not a time for you to go online and tell everybody you're suffering because we can't help people when we're in the height of our despair. We have to get to the other side of it. You can do that with your friends. You can do it on private. You can do all those things. But I guess my point is another, you know, one of the reasons I wrote an article called The Stories We Tell Ourselves is when they're in that mode of going downhill, you know, what are you telling yourself? Who are you comparing yourself to? And that's really where psychology and physiology and the incredible work that you do, Stephanie, and your colleagues at BANA is, you know, what is, you know, 110 pounds? Nobody's 110 pounds. You know, where do you get that from? So that's where that's where the commercials do help. And that's mm-hmm. where the campaigns do help because it gives an anchor to say, okay, where did you, most people with in their mind, it's an it's a number. It's something that's just it's like it's not real. So yeah. that when, it's, so that's where the cognitive distortions come in too. The magnification. So that's psychology once again. That you know what what are your thinking patterns? Are they real or are they imagined? And I mean, we could certainly talk about social media or any of those things in here too. Mm-hmm. But I just everything sparks another idea. <laughs> yeah, well, it's because you're so well versed in all this. And um, I really I remember when I was going to school and I did psych as a minor, one area of um, psychology that really stuck out to me as in everything that I learned was um, the area of positive psychology, which is yeah. everything you're talking about already and have touched upon that we want to dive into. So can you just tell us for the listeners what positive psychology, what area of that that 
is focused on in that area of psychology. Okay, so first of all, I, and I appreciate that. I love that you're a psychology major and a psychology minor major, all of these things, it applies to everything. It, it really does. The reason I turn to positive psychology, and, and this is something that's so important in your profession, and let's talk about it in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Being in mental health care in the pandemic, and I recently did a webinar. I, we, we saw each other on the, yeah. the CPR talk that I gave for the Workplace Awards. And after that, I did a webinar for 70 staff members at CMHA. And I talked about that we have to be really careful that if we, we take, do mental health during the day, we can't do it 24-7. Now that's all anybody talks about, Stephanie, but I'm telling you personally, you have to be careful. Mm-hmm. I have to be careful. I've actually pulled back a lot, like on my stories on IG and stuff, because it just permeates every area of my life. So, like, yeah. let's let's go back, right? Let's that's go back a, no, that's a really so good point. Leave. Yeah, that's a really yeah, good let's, point. Let's, let's sit with that point for a second. I find, um, like, actually, I didn't actually really realize that until you mentioned it to, <laughs> to me right now. Right? You're here, too. Yeah, because we both have, and we'll talk about, you know, I'm a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. You're a businesswoman. Yeah. I think people forget that, too. Like, we're businesswomen. And so I have a private practice. Now my private practice is in professional speaking. I've been doing mm-hmm. that for a very long time. So that's my... Yours is also in education, nutrition. I mean, like yeah. your degrees, like that's what you say to me, like what you have is incredible. But if you're speaking at 24 7, you're going to burn out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And for other people, it's a casual conversation, but for us, it's our profession. Yeah, that's a real reflection for me, to be honest. Okay, good. Setting up. I remember, that's what I want to say. But I think it has, like you said, the pandemic has made it even stronger um, because of more time on social media, more people reaching out for help, more need for like, and also it's what I know. So I feel like pulled to help. It's what you know. Yeah. You have the answers. You're a helper. That's your archetype. Yeah. This is what you, and I know so many opportunities come up, but like, there has to be a stop start, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right? And so what happened when I graduated, I was 28, and I graduated, I actually got a position four months before I graduated with my PhD as a chief psychologist of the school board. Like, there were two school boards that came together. It's a huge job. And, but what happened was back then, this is like late 90s, nobody ever considered the mental health mm. of helping professionals. Yeah. And so I, I didn't, <laughs> and I was young. So I, 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 it was too much. Like everywhere I went, it was problem, 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 problem. I mean, that's what you're hired for, right? Yeah. But I have such a, right? Like you're hired to solve problems, but not everybody is open to this problem being solved. So early 2000, I was on the board of directors for the Ontario Psychological Association, and I gave a speech around a different perspective it really wasn't until the late 90s that positive psychology was explored with martin seligman and they did a meta-analysis and they found something like it was one to a thousand like anything that ever been published about psychology was uh what was wrong with you so then they started exploring and this is where we start talking about there's a big difference between everything that's talked about spiritual bypassing toxic positivity versus actual positive positive psychology in positive psychology we always address the problem. 
But what's different about positive psychology compared to other subsets of positive psychology is we don't address the problem first. Mm. We address the problem after you've had a nap, after you've had a good good conversation about anything but your mental health, after you've gone for a walk, essentially after you've filled yourself up, and I say that metaphorically, in any way. So when I teach psychology, when my students come to my class, they're spent. I don't just dive into the work. I spend the first half hour of the class asking about what was the best part of their day. Stephanie, what is the best part of your day so far? Um, I meditated right before I got on with you. Fantastic. Yes. (laughs) And you fortified yourself so that you were prepared. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, And this is the thing. This is the thing that when... Just sort of mm-hmm. all around this, but you know, people come to you with your problems all the time. Social media, part of the reason I have to take a bit of a step away is all it is is like problem, 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 vulnerability, vulnerability. Like it's too much. Yeah. And one of the ways that people first get to know themselves deeply, especially in their late teens, early twenties, is through their wounds. Mm-hmm. And so, right? And and so they need them to be witnessed. They need to be acknowledged. So positive psychology, you go in through strengths. I'm going to add, I, like your strengths are, you're determined. I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you personally. <laughs> your strengths are you're, you're determined. You're organized. You're very visual. You're very artistic. You're level-headed. You're grounded. What would you say one of your weaknesses are? Um, I think my weakness is perfectionism, which it's kind of interesting that I was drawn to this type of work because it's a big, um, it it can be an indicator for um, eating disorder behavior as well. I haven't had an eating disorder, but I think the perfectionism makes me overthink. Um, And sometimes that trips me up and then I get in my head and don't follow through or overanalyze or overjudge myself. So first, self-awareness, I can relate to everything you're talking about, okay? Yeah. This is the thing. What, with perfectionism goes ambition. Yeah. You know it, and the remedy for that is setting limits, time being one of them, and at the same time, the flip side of that, because that is one of your, we'll call it weakness, is <laughs> that you're now able to, your strength on, the strength of that is that you're able to identify very quickly with your clients around that issue. Yeah. And you can empathize with them through that. And so that the point of positive psychology is that you focus on the strengths first. And what is the flip side of that? Stephanie, you're absolutely somebody I'd want to work with because I know you're reliable. I know I can count on you. I know there'd be a quick turnaround. So the so it's really looking at the flip side of it. And, yeah. then how, and that's where the self-compassion comes in too because also looking at where it originates. So positive psychology, the very first thing, so we talk about Monday, Motivation Monday, <laughs> that what is a way, so there, there's a model I use called the PERMA model, and I also wrote about this in an article called Cultivating Mental Health Daily. For a year and a half, I had a column with the Drive magazine called Psych Drive, mm-hmm. and then I ran out of time. <laughs> and uh, so PERMA, so PERMA is exactly what you did. So PERMA is how you generate positive emotion before you do anything. So you did it through meditation. E is engagement. I have a feeling that you've cleared your mind, I know, so that you can be fully engaged in this, in our interview. And engagement's another word for being in flow and being in the zone. Mm -hmm. So that's another way. So if you're working with the client to to figure out what their strengths are, you ask them, where do you lose time? 
You know, where do you go and you, you have zero thoughts? So what part of your day, Stephanie, do you have zero thoughts because you're so fully engaged in something? Um, I would say when I'm researching something new or that interests me, um, so like exploration is kind of where I get lost. So exploration yeah. would be an antidote for perfectionism. So right. that when you find yourself getting too caught in your head, then you need to get lost in something new. Yeah. So, so positive emotion through meditation, engagement through the research, Ours relationship, and so this, so the Perma model is cultivating my health. Like every single day, if it's not simple, we won't do it. So if this is where at the end of every day, and even before you get any on any kind of call, that if with friends or otherwise, what's your energy level before you engage with that person? What's your energy level before you go with that social media account? What's that energy level before you think even think about certain things? So that having having positive relationships and knowing that you don't owe anybody anything that it should be a two-way street it's not always that way like sometimes you give more and some less so that so it's positive generate positive emotion engage yourself fully in whatever you're doing and find something that allows you to do that so for some people's reading and these are for you too so it's reading you did what the research you're reading you're walking you're meditating mm-hmm. anything that allows you that becomes one it's, a, it's almost like active meditation you become one with something yeah. and then positive relationships meaning so what gives you a sense so if i were to ask you what your ultimate like what is your purpose and it doesn't have to be a job it can be anything you know what is what is something that gives you meaning in the course of the day for me it's this interview yeah for me it's connection as well like in all different types okay. of form but like Talking to pe- like-minded people, connecting with people I love, or connecting with someone new. Okay, awesome. So yeah. that gives you meaning. So for you, and in, in, in the around finding people's strengths, you can also do Garter's multiple intelligence test. So your strengths are clearly, clearly interpersonal intelligence and intrapersonal intelligence. Mm-hmm. So that that would be that gives you meaning, but that's also your strength. So that's where people come alive. When their strengths align and so with their, their sense of meaning. And so often we think that this is all positive psychology. This is getting, like for me, positive psychology is helping somebody reach their full potential. So that I've never met a lazy person. I've just met somebody who hasn't come alive. Mm-hmm. And so that, right? So this is like like the whole point, even in the pandemic. Like if you're, it's okay to have a good day. I always say to John, it's the utopia within the, my husband, John. The utopia within the dystopia. So that, that one of the best things that you can do is when you come alive, that then that's how you radiate it out in your relationship. So that's your meaning. And then achievement. So that's where you, you know, at the end of the day, what's something that you've achieved that you've been proud of? So positive emotion, engagement, relationships, meaning, and achievement. All of those things will help fill somebody up. So that applies to every single person on the planet. So how positive psychology differs from, say, a subset of clinical psychology is that clinical psychology is more for acute mental illness and positive, which might be, say, 15% of the population, 10%, for example, 
Positive psychology helps 100%, including the person with acute mental illness. Mm-hmm. So what I would, like, I see, every, I, I just want the best for everybody. So I'm not going to look at you and feel sorry for you if you have schizophrenia, if you have agoraphobia, if you have anorexia. I'm going to say, hey, you know, like, what is this, what is this trying to tell you? How can we take you to the next level, you know? And so another question you asked me that you wrote out of what people would know about me that's not on my website, I have a real interest in alternative medicine. I have a real interest in the spiritual side of psychology in medical intuition. And, you know, so what is it within there? So you talk about perfectionism within, within your life, within, say, my life, within even within the diagnosis of anorexia, like, what is the root of that? Like, what does that come from? Like, what is the deep fear mm-hmm. within there? Mm-hmm. And that's the idea that you're never enough and all that kind of stuff. So I'm constantly, I go- yeah, I feel like I'm constantly looking for that root. Um, I think because of, like, my own health journey in, um, in both, like, you know, like exploring my psychology <laughs> through therapy and also my health. Yeah, um, good for you. Yeah, and my th- my health issues as well. I've always, I, I, but like what you said at the beginning where there needs to be a little bit of a limit, I feel like sometimes I even take that. To, I'm like, what's the root here? What's the root there? Where I'm like, you know what, sometimes. Oh, I know. So yeah, yeah. you know what, today I'm just going to turn my brain off. Yes. Stephanie L-I-T-E-Light. Yeah, I'm like, sometimes, you know what, it just is. It just is today, and that's all. (laughs) Um, And I'll tell you what can help balance that is having friends that have opposite personalities. So that's somebody who really doesn't go that deep, that sees things at a very surface level, and that that they might be, if you look at the Myers-Briggs, they might be more concrete. Where you're obviously very intuitive, you're very mm-hmm. much of a feeler, yeah. and you say to them, and you trust them, and say, how do you see the situation? Yeah, I love that. Um, I totally agree. Actually, in terms of relationships, I feel like that's probably the key for me, is finding people who think differently, and then like reflecting yeah. on what they have to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to also ask you... Um, because I know on your website, you speak a lot about going through adversity and difficult moments in life, um, or even trauma, which can maybe you can explain a little bit about trauma and then the growth that is possible after trauma as well. So um, what is trauma and why can adversity be good for us? Great questions, and let me just say once again, I so appreciate that you took the time to read through my website. I That originated my blog in 2015 through my own personal suffering mm-hmm. because I just found that in the classroom and, and the problems that the students were experiencing were just getting higher and higher and it more intense and more intense, and I'm not their psychologist, mm-hmm. and I'm very clear from the get-go. I, I was so many of them down for counseling that obviously can't have dual relationships. I don't want to have dual relationships. But that said, they will, you know, they'll be upset about a mark or whatever it is. And I would find myself, if I start writing about it, then I could say, why don't you read this blog? Why don't you read that Mm -hmm. blog? And so, and one of the reasons I started writing about post-traumatic growth is because it's everywhere. Like we all experience trauma. So what's, what would be trauma? Trauma for what trauma is an intense major life event. 
Yeah. So whether it be a divorce, it could be a death in the family, it could be a fire, like essentially all of the pandemic, like we're yeah. all in it, but we're all having different perceptions of it, right? So that that's why comparative suffering is so important not to do because pain is pain. But with trauma, I'll just talk about it, it would be more intense. So I got interested in trauma because of the work that I do in supporting nurses is they are witnesses of trauma every single day. So whether it be death, a cancer diagnosis or any of those things, and even in the work that you do. I mean, even a parent mm-hmm. that has a child with a disability, they're seeing people traumatized. If you're highly sensitized, so I'm going to come in through the back door, you're at risk for compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma. And there's also something called secondary trauma, which should happen very quickly. So if you think about when there was 9-11 and mm-hmm. any of the firefighters or police people or any of those people, when they witnessed what happened, they would they they would have the effects of the trauma that they witnessed. So that what makes the difference between someone that experienced post-traumatic stress disorder and somebody that experiences post-traumatic growth, there are many, many variables, but one of the most important variables is the meaning that you attach to it. Mm. So that's why often, and this is, thank God, when I was younger, there was none of that social media. When people are writing all over the place what they're experiencing, that that's that moment in time, and they haven't sort of had a chance to understand why they are experiencing it. Now, you never want to blame the victim. This is really an internal mm-hmm. journey. But, for example... For one person, they they at the time a divorce could be very traumatic for them, but then when they work with a therapist and they realize that they only maybe had one percent, maybe it was just one percent contribution to the breakdown of the marriage, then they can take that one percent, learn from it, and be better in future marriages, yeah, a relationship, right? So there's so much. This is why I love that you shared. I so honor it. And I've been in therapy myself, and I mm-hmm. think it's fantastic. In fact, often when I become close to someone for the first time in friendship, you know, over the course of a year, I'll say, I can be your friend, but you need to go to therapy because <laughs> I'm not going to be your psychologist. Right? That's a whole different conversation. But, like, <laughs> Talk about you know, limits, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? so, so the idea is that you see a therapist, and you need a therapist that's going to be tough. And I always say to my students, too, like, when I was practicing, you know, I practiced for 18 years, you might like me as a professor, but you probably wouldn't like me as a psychologist because I call you out on yeah. everything. Because <laughs> that's what you paid me for, right? So, that, so for someone who has post-traumatic growth, then they have to be able to find meaning and a lesson mm. in the trauma. And it has a lot to do with uh, so many variables, but another variable around it, I did a a video on my own personal experience, like my, with witnessing my parents' trauma growing up and how it taught me about happiness because when my dad, when we were really young, my dad's law office burned down. And it was the middle of the night, four kids, bundled us all in a car, and we couldn't find my dad anywhere. Four mm. in the morning, like, where's dad? Like, you know. Well, he was out for a run. Mm. He was out for a run because he had no control over the fire. But he had a sense of control over going for a run. So when he showed back up, I think it was four or five at the time, and he said he said exactly that. He said, it's done, it's over, but I need to come back with a clear head. Hmm. Wow. And something similar happened to my mom when she was diagnosed with cancer. She's been diagnosed with cancer twice. And my, both my parents, like anybody, had quite a life. 
And when she told me uh, the first time that she was diagnosed, you know, you know, being the compassionate people that we are, Stephanie, I wanted to lean in and give her, you know, let her tell me. And she said, no, Andrea, I just want to sit with you. I want to have a cup of coffee. I want to fortify myself with back to PERMA, positive mm-hmm. emotions, engagement, all of those things. And then I'll handle the cancer. So part of post-traumatic growth is not being a victim. And we're all allowed to be a victim. I mean, like, give yourself time yeah. to be victimized. That's really important. But how long do you stay down? And so that's what part of my, like, you pulling back, me pulling back, because everywhere we go, there's pandemic trauma everywhere. And it's legitimate. Yeah. But people have to go through what they have to go through. But the question is, once again, how long do they stay there? Hmm. So, I mean, I guess my, like, devil's advocate would say... Go, yeah, go. (laughs) My devil's advocate would say something like, and I've heard people say this, where they may be stuck in a little bit of victim and um, say, you know, like, I, well, I hold these things, like, I can't let them go. Um, you haven't been in my shoes. How am I supposed to move on from this? So if there's some advice you could give those people uh, to move forward and put things in the past, what could you say? The first thing I'd say to them is, I can't help you. Hmm. You can help you, right? Well, you want to be helped. So this is <laughs> oh, really important. Good, good point. So, for example, I had an interview, right? This is, there are a lot of people, and I've been there, you've been there, even probably in the last seven days, with certain relationships that you need to be seen. That whether it be your spouse, your partner, your parent, whatever, like you really need to be seen. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, the only way to be seen is in that traumatic place. Uh, and for that yeah. person, that could be their currency because there is Heather Chauvet. She yeah. was a student of mine. She's yeah. She she does work in this. We talked. I've talked to Heather about this before. That the idea that some people don't want to move on because there's more power in victimhood yeah. than there is in being a victim. So the, and and I also had an interview with uh, on two radio stations in December about loneliness during the pandemic, celebrating the holidays. And the first thing I said to the interviewer, I said, "Ask yourself." If you want to cancel Christmas this year, because you can. So I would say to this client, hey, if you don't want to move on, don't move on. But I can't help you until you're ready to move on. In fact, I can't ever help you. But don't move on. Just don't. It's like, well, it's reverse psychology. It's literal reverse psychology. So what I'm teaching in the regular classroom, and the students are really struggling because that cloud nursing program is so hard, I will show, I will literally show them the door and say, you know what? Mm-hmm. Just leave. You can go. Get your money back. And they'll always choose to stay. So I think in that moment, I would say you're right. And I don't deny that you're not right. But let's do sort of a flow chart. What is the pain of staying stuck? What is the power of moving forward? And maybe it's going from the pain to the power. It's like a little spreadsheet here. Mm-hmm. It's just today I'm going to choose to be in this stance 23 and a half hours instead of 24. Tomorrow might be 23 hours. So the idea, once again, is say, you know what? I don't know. I haven't lost a husband. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I haven't, whatever it is, mimic it back to them. And I agree. You, there, there's, I'm not arguing with you about the pain, but what I'm here to do is champion your power. Ooh, yeah, that's that's awesome. I feel like even <laughs> I was thinking, even like I could personally use something like that as an in the moment thing. 
okay, is moving forward gonna, what is it gonna bring me? Here are the pros. Um, what's it gonna t- take for me to get there? Or um, what are the cons of sticking here? And, you know, it could be really small, but like, what is the con of me not getting up and going for that walk? I, yeah, you know what I mean? Like really small things. And that's something that you could probably incorporate into your day in very simple terms as well. And even if something really like highly traumatic hasn't happened, it's one of those life hacks <laughs> that you can, you can. Absolutely. Kind of, yeah. Tuesdays and Thursdays, give me permission, like Tuesdays and Thursdays. It's funny, the second you give yourself permission not to do it, you want to do it. Yeah. Because, you, because it feels like it's forced from the outside. So I'm just looking at a graph on um, post-traumatic growth that's on my website. It's under post-traumatic growth, can, can adversity be good for you? And so there are personal factors that determine how quickly you'll bounce out of it. And I think mm. that's certainly where the psychology comes in too. Yeah. And so, so optimism. So, so, and I did, I do a big talk called Optimism Bootcamp, and most people think it's toxic positivity. I hate those two words, but I'll just say mm. like that. Uh, that optimism is a mindset. A pessimist, and just like we're all, it's a sliding scale. A pessimist sees the pandemic as, as personal. It's only happening to me. You met those people. Mm. Um, a pessimist mindset sees the pandemic as universal to every single area of their life. And a pessimist sees it as forever. Now, the flip side of it, an optimist, because if you're an optimist, there's so many benefits to it. And the good news is it can be trained. You're more likely to come up. So think about that client that does, like, see, even you're, you're open. I can hear the fresh air and what, how it applies to your life. But you mm-hmm. might have somebody that's so ingrained and in being a victim. I mean, we could use other words. I mean, I'm not, listen, I'm, I'm a victim at least two days a week. Mm-hmm. That, that they don't want to see the open side of it, which is, it's temporary. It like even the pandemic is temporary. It like it's very specific to parts of your life. Like if you if I looked at your life before and after the pandemic, it's not every part of your life. It's very specific. And once again it's universal. So that remember I was talking earlier about body image. That's universal mm-hmm. everybody you, a lot of a lot of people that are down on themselves think they're the only one. And I'm going to tell you, it's funny because I'm going to hold myself back. Like everybody on social media, you think you're the only one. Like what? You think <laughs> you're the only one that has a negative reaction to failure? You think you're the only? I'm going to tell you, Stephanie. You think you're the only perfectionist? I've got a PhD in perfectionism. <laughs> you like you like we're like we all are all those things, and that's where empathy comes in. Is and so with that person. This is what we do with that person. It doesn't want to come out of it. Say, you know what? Like, let's just have a sit-in on your life. But let's fast forward 10 years. Do you still want to be sitting in that place? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And it's also part of it, right? And part of it is who do they surround themselves with? Maybe that, and this is where, you know, we talk about codependence all the time. That codependency would come in is, do your friends tell you the truth? And unfortunately, a lot of people don't tell you the truth because of your reaction to the truth. So if your friends are validating things that aren't good for you, then maybe it's time to have a new set of friends. So in 2002, I quit smoking, and in 2005, I quit drinking. And I quit smoking because I went through a tough time. It was a way for me to cope. I used to be a social smoker, and I started uh, smoking too much. And then I quit drinking because I found everywhere I went in Windsor, I saw my students, and I was also trying mm-hmm. to have kids and all that kind of stuff. But I had to, like, rethink who I hung out with. I had to rethink my environment. And the same is just food. Like, food is always, we always have to be on top of it. So back to it, full circle about the trauma, is that every single one of us does experience trauma. 
that, you know, if you ask me what's different about who I am versus how I present myself publicly, is that I have a lot of personal experiences that fuels the empathy of my work, but I'm not public with the specifics. I might be public when I retire, but one of the things you will learn as a psychologist is that it is actually a conflict of interest to share too much of yourself because then it comes about you and not your clients. Mm-hmm. Not my students. Like this is a time for it's about you, Stephanie. It's a, like everything I do professionally is about the people in front of me. And you know, my private life, you know, it's about me, but professionally, and this is back to full circle what we talked about in the beginning, is that you and I and everybody most likely that's listening have to be careful now because we used to have very clear boundaries about work. We were yeah. physically in the world. Now our work is digital. And and I, I stopped teaching at the university after nine years of the teacher's college because I couldn't do it at night what I did during the day. I would lose joy for what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's really interesting that you brought that up and that I almost had like a little bit of a aha moment when you brought that up. Good. But it, it's good, kind good, of like good. over time as well. Like, I feel like initially I almost had better boundaries when this first all began because I was hyper aware. Maybe like I had that greater awareness that, oh, I can't let them like bleed into another home and life or home life and um, work life. But I think because over time, maybe, you know, like a little bit of fatigue has set in and I'm allowing them to bleed into one another a little bit more. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something to keep in mind that our self-care, those little things are just so important in terms of making a huge impact on our overall well-being um, and mental right. health. Yeah. And part of it, I mean, to add to it, I love everything you said there because we're we're experiencing the same thing. Yeah. Especially because we, I don't, I don't want to, I, I actually have the word restraint. I have the word, I have unbridled enthusiasm. I have so much energy and I just want to share everything, but I have to pull <laughs> myself back. Yeah. So I wrote the word restraint on the fridge and I do the 24-hour rule. So whatever I'm thinking about sharing or posting or whatever, I, I, I wait 24 hours and still see if it's a good idea. Because part of that is, as you're talking about, I have all these, like, little, like you say, life hacks in there too, yeah. is that we crave connection. Yeah. And so that's why normally we would get the face-to-face connection. Secondly, we're passionate about what we do. Our work really, we're just fortunate. We work hard for it, but our work is our passion. And thirdly, we do have the answers. So that when we see, so I have to pull myself back. I mean, I would just like comment on every, I would like comment like everything because (laughs) I want to give my, but but they don't want it. They just want it one way. So this is the other thing that Uh. I'm sort of trying to online is that people will overshare and then they'll write in there, I don't want your advice or feedback. I don't want any comments. I don't want whatever. And so behind the scenes, I said to some of those people, you have to understand, depending on a person's personality, when you put out there this very traumatic life story that you have for yourself, this is one of the reasons there's such an anxiety epidemic right now, situational anxiety epidemic. I can talk about the difference between that clinical is because we're overstimulated in areas that we weren't exposed to before because culturally you're seen as a hero. Well, I'm going to say one thing is it's actually heroic to hold back. And so mm-hmm. I recently did uh, an interview. It's, it's public service. I recently did an interview or a post. It was called uh, Meaningful Connections Online. Yeah. And one, one of the things that's really 
fun with the blog is that you get really in depth. The difference between a blog and Instagram is that people reflect and take the time. And so a blogger from London, England said that one thing that I made a point of is, and that's where I got the word restraint, is I hold myself back. So Mm -hmm. I've had to hold myself back from commenting. I'm encouraging young people to hold back on what they share, put in the 24-hour rule. And what's interesting, too, is that introverts tend to to share more online. And a lot of these Hmm. young people, and I've had people actually, (laughs) they share more online. They're sharing stuff online that they haven't even told their best friends. Yeah, I actually remember reading something about that. Um, It was like early when social media started to become popular, saying, um, I mean, this was a long time ago, but it was saying how that can be beneficial in a way for those people who don't generally share a lot. But I agree with you that I think it's almost become now like over the evolution of social media and like almost like maybe some attention seeking or like that need for connection. I feel like it's almost swung now like to the opposite where it's becoming more harmful than helpful in connection. Right. And so I also celebrate it and I know it's courageous and I, yes, because so I don't never want to put anyone down, but I want, as you said, right there, I want everyone to consider the impact mm-hmm. it's going to have on the reader. And so what happens, the person's reading it, it, it affects their brain, it affects their nervous system, it affects their hormones. So that, like, people are coming off of social media now shell-shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Uh, what is that, what's a healthy way that you can do that? So that journal, but you don't have to share everything with your journal. So a young person who's very private asked me to do a, a video on this, on boundaries mm-hmm. and vulnerabilities. And so a lot of my, you know, a certain percentage of my students have mental illness. And I talk about this because I teach clinical psych, that a healthy thing for you to do is not go online on Bell Let's Talk. Not yeah. to go online on World, right? Because it's too much. That yeah. Even like movies, are, so for them, right? For them to start to be more in tune with themselves, I want to give you room to comment. But. <laughs> it's okay. No, no. I actually, um, similar feedback from some clients in terms of, like we do a lot of outreach for eating disorder awareness week, but I, I've heard client feedback where it can be very triggering um, and also exactly what you said about Bell Let's Talk Day as well. So I think what it is. Right, like, and even myself. Like I had yeah. to take a break after. I did, was, after right? Yeah. Like, I just had to take a month. Like, you know, and yourself too with the campaigns. And, and I, this goes back to the self-criticism versus self-compassion is that even yourself, even myself, our students, I mean, we're fully developed brains, et cetera, yeah. to really say, that's healthy for you to do because they feel guilty because I've had young people say, well, I have a clinical diagnosis, but I haven't shared it online. So I explained to them that that's, that's choice. It takes, mm. you know what I'm saying? It is interesting how they almost feel compelled. It's, it, it is interesting. Yeah. 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 Cause that's the yeah. culture now. The Right. And so what happens is there's this breakdown and, and this is where mental health education is so important is to really understand what people's qualifications are. So that the mm-hmm. qualifications at Banna, including yourself, you like incredible versus maybe uh, like a beach body instructor mm-hmm. teaching their clients about mental health. I really want to be able to educate people where they're getting the information from. 
Yeah, that's um, something that is so important. We also cover when we do some education to the schools um, and talk about where is that source? Like, what is that source? Um, and like something else that you mentioned before, like, am I posting in anger? Who could read this? Um, all of those yeah. like etiquette things when it comes online. But I also want to talk, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, maybe like the body image piece and what feedback you're getting from students related to like, not only like ca- captions and comments, but all of the images that they're seeing. And because you're communicating with young people frequently, I just, I wondered if they had shared anything more about that. Personally, and then I'll talk about with my students, it's interesting because as you know, the images are so different than they've ever been. And there is such, it's very positive, as you know. The question is, does it impact them? Yeah. Right? So the question is, does it change their, 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 how they feel about themselves? And what I can see, Initially, it's having a very superficial effect. So in the moment, it might feel good to see all these different role models on social media, on Sports Illustrated, any of those things. But as you know, their comparator is inside of them. So that, that that might take another generation before it gets to that. Because I haven't noticed a big difference overall. Just say I'm just talking about the general population of nursing students or my general population is like psychology students, they continue to be hard on themselves if it's just by media alone. Now, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. What I do now more than ever is I integrate a lot of my online content into my online courses. So, at, at, and this team actually gave me permission. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, what they have to do is they have to pick something that has been troubling them their whole life and then do optimism boot camp, what's called uh, attributional... Exploratory, uh, exploratory way of, to look at things. So one of the, the students picked, I've hated my weight, I've hated my body image my whole life. And then they switched it from permanent to temporary, from specific to universal to mm-hmm. whatever the three are. And by the end of it, that is what had the impact. And that's why your work's so important at BANA because you're going in and you're giving them specific skills. So this is a way of saying that the images are nice, but they're not enough. The images might be 10% of it, but they need the tools. They, and this particular student said after they did that assignment, they put post-it notes all over their house, <laughs> just reminding them that this is just a moment in time, maybe, you know, because you, it's one thing to say acceptance, but they have to decide that maybe they don't want to be that way. Maybe they want to be a weight that allows them to play tennis or whatever it is. So that. Yeah, it's, it's moving the dial, but it will never be enough. It really, you have to have the skill set. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, no, that was definitely helpful. Um, that's why they'll always need you. I mean, that's why they'll always need it's true. A health educators. That, and that, the thing is, the thing I love about your work, and this is why I love the work that I do too, is that we literally teach everybody how to fish. We want them to be independent of us. We want them to be able to do it on their own and then translate into their own families. It's really important versus having somebody that is, you know, for for a lifetime. Yeah, that's, um, I know, that's why I do like, like you said, I love the prevention work and 
I probably didn't know as I didn't know I liked it as much as I did before I got this job but you realize just like the importance of it and like like almost breaking those cycles long term I mean it takes a lot of time but like there's such um healing that can take place when um a young person learns something and then it trickles down to you know a younger sibling and then their kids and then their kids you know it's it takes a long time but it's that um you know social and universal approach that really is important in my eyes when it comes to prevention of um things like like mental health yeah and 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 the reason you're so that you enjoy it so much is that it's incredibly good for your mental health right Right, because yeah. <laughs> that's why I got attracted to positive psychology. Because I can't live in a world of problems. First of all, it's not how I think. It's not how you think. It's not your personality that you always see solutions, and it can be frustrating. What I always see is the challenges that something that needs to change. Right, and so prevention that is really how positive psychology works. Because you're seeing the hope. You're seeing them when they're young. Mm-hmm. You're seeing them when they're open. They're flexible. All of those things. So back to that client talking about the trauma or being stuck and if I have 300 psychology posts on my blog one third of them are about letting go and surrendering because we it's a daily prayer it's like one of the most powerful spiritual practices that you could ever have so when for example my mom who's also a psychologist when I talk to her I would say you know mom this is just a different version I told you last of what I told you last week but I just need to tell you so I'll tell her but we have a way of keeping the conversation if we have 45 minutes together 10 minutes is a problem 35 minutes is full of hope prevention solution one of the lessons and that's exactly this is why you're just this is not only the work that you do in prevention gives you hope stephanie it gives you meaning it gives you it gives you engagement this is where your Mm -hmm. ideas come in it's so critical this is what will keep you in the game for the long run Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're kind of you brought brought it all full circle to the beginning of our conversation, um, which I love, and it's it is true. I think um, providing hope is if we didn't have that, especially when it comes to our our mental well being. I don't think we would move very very far. We wouldn't move forward. There would be no reason. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, so I I I mean, and speaking about our limits and boundaries, I don't want to keep you too much longer. <laughs> but um, I do want to ask if um, we didn't touch on anything that you were hoping to discuss. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to share? Anything else? They can definitely be found on my psychology blog because I could continue this conversation. I know, with you, which I really <laughs> appreciate. This is wonderful. I feel like I'm having coffee with a good friend and I feel that I mean we've met on social media which I think is incredible and then we also met through different events through Windsor virtually in the last year I know I don't think we've ever actually seen each other in person but I do feel very closely tied to you as well (laughs) yeah but right I feel the same way and that's that is my that is the post-pandemic goal which I certainly look forward to me too and that right me too we could because I have so much respect for you and your work, and I hope you know that. And I have to, and over, the, like I said, 10 years ago through my health psych course, I did all the research and I included in my course for my, my nursing students about BANA. And then in the last year, I've been to BANA website. I've, I've looked all your work up. I've looked up the your work of your colleagues. And for me, that's inspiration. 
That's, mm. that's prevention. That's the future. That's the reminder that we're not in it alone. And I am grateful to you and your team for putting a podcast like this together, your YouTube videos, your IGTV, your own personal account, that it really reminds me that we need to hold on, that pain does end. And in the meanwhile, so many lessons have been learned. You know, so I'm going to ask you one question before I share best way to reach me. What has COVID awakened in you? What have you, what has come alive in you? What have you learned in this, in COVID that you, you wouldn't have learned if COVID hadn't happened? Um, okay. So yeah, that was all very kind too. I really appreciate that. But, um, I definitely have seen, you know, the silver lining in COVID. And I think that's because I am more of that optimist and I try to look on the bright side of things. But for me, it's made crystal clear how I want to live my life and what is important to me. And a big part of that is work-life balance. Um, It's made me reflect on the importance of family and my health and prioritizing those things as being very important and it's also given me time for reflection and um and kind of like planning and goal setting as to what's next and where I want to take my um my life and my career and um and it's it's gotten me in planning mode I guess and I almost it's a little bit of a rejuvenation a, a reset for me I love that. Yeah. What's happened is you will look back and, you know, when you're 80 years old (laughs) and someone will say that you lived through COVID and you know that your life was already going in a wonderful direction, but you crystallize. Yes. You're crystallizing now. You're really crystallizing and life becomes more clear and that, you know, everything you share is similar to me. It gives you permission to truly carve your own path and to let go there are certain things that you can say blame COVID like there's certain relationships that don't serve you yeah. there's certain aspects of your job that you talk to your boss they're just not for you because it doesn't align with your strengths and this and and the podcasting is definitely one of your strengths I mean you you landed mm-hmm. in the right place and so that's why I for me at least business-wise because I I retired my practice in 2016 because you have to hold up on your case files for 10 years past retirement. Mm-hmm. And if I had an eight-year-old, I'd have to hold on. Like, I have cases filed yeah. now, and I wanted to reach more people. And so COVID is, professionally has allowed me to reach more people because I've had so many interviews, so many virtual workshops, like a lot of that. So similar to you, though, I have to know where to put on the brakes. Mm-hmm. And so now I've limited myself. I mean, the month of January, it's six. So that's every night and every weekend. And, and in February, I limited it to two. So now I'm limiting it to two months. And that's okay because you got to know enough is enough. You're, we actually build more in the time off. So that yeah. said, the best, the best place to reach me will always be on my psychology blog. And so drandreadonardo.com. And you can put that all in the show notes. Yeah. And then I'm most active on Instagram and I'm most active on YouTube. I also have a Twitter account, but thank God I lost the, I lost (laughs) my password years ago. (laughs) There's so many. (laughs) Yeah, like even like with friends and family, like you either, I will tell you this because I really believe in communication. So I, I, if you reach out to me, I will get back to you. And the best way, I have a contact page on my 
blog, Instagram, that's a great way. But I really encourage people to come over to my blog because mm-hmm. that's where I have all kinds of resources, videos, etc. And Stephanie, I believe in our future. I believe in Windsor. And somebody asked me, what's the difference between toxic positivity and, you know, say positive psychology? What, and I can hear it in you, what positivity does for me, positive emotion, hope, mm-hmm. optimism, belief, is it energizes me. It makes me want to get up and do something. Mm-hmm. And so even if it's a walk around the block, you know what? Just walk to the end of the driveway. And I guarantee, because in the word, the Latin word for motivation is mover, which means to move. So if we can encourage people through our work to move, to feel alive, that whatever is happening is only a moment in time, including COVID, then we've done our job. And I think that's part of us setting boundaries too, Stephanie, is realizing that we have to have enough space that one post, one video, Mm -hmm. one word, and you leave it at that. Yeah, that, okay, so I feel like you're so in sync with what is going on in my mind today, because (laughs) I've been encouraged more recently from, um, and one of my mentors as well saying, she said, this stuck with me. Your client's symptoms are not your responsibility. You are there for them during that session, but you're not there for them throughout your, their entire life, right? And so exactly what you're saying is like, if you provide that post, if you provide that word of advice, um, we have to remain hopeful that they will take that and use it as they wish. But providing them like that little bit of information and motivation can really actually go a long way. And But releasing after that is, is necessary. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. I'll, and I'll add to that because of my students would say, how did you sit with a lot of the your patients, your clients that are in trauma? And I said, early on, I did exactly what you're talking about. I would feel that I had to give them all the stuff. They basically yep. take care of them for the rest of the week. And what I learned was, if in that hour, I could give them faith in themselves, a tool to take them forward, and let them go, then they would have to do it. And you know what? 50% would, 50% wouldn't, sometimes it's only 10%, but you've done your job, Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And you know what big part of your job is? I just finished an interview mentoring a young PhD student in psychology, is that I said to her 25% of her staying in the game was self-care. So you have a great mentor, a great colleague, and it's self-talk for you, and it's self-talk for me, that we're enough, that we've done enough, and just showing up is enough. Yes. I love that. I feel like you hit on so many important things throughout this conversation that if I listen to this, I feel like I'll probably go back and listen a couple times. <laughs> um, and I'm sure our listen- listeners are going to do that as well. Um, and I will definitely, definitely put in all of um, your social media channels and your website in the show notes because I think Dr. DiNardo has a really good way of... Um, of articulating complex concepts and put in almost um, uh, vocalizing them in a way that is concrete, digestible, and also readily like usable as well. So I, you know, I appreciate that. So yeah, much. that's why my sort of summarize it because my blog and my TEDx is called "Thriving Under Pressure," and so that pressure is inevitable. And some days we just survive. Some days we just sit on the couch. But when you're ready, like you said, at the end of this podcast, to get up and go for a walk, imagine that Stephanie and myself are with you on that walk. And really, our whole life is a walk. 
and this is one day in that walk. And that the reason, and I appreciate that you say that about being concrete, because as a professor, I'm constantly looking at my students to see whether they get it. So I, I have mm. to always rework my analogies, because if they don't get it, you know, you can tell in their eyes. And so that's where some of those examples come from. So I just want you to know, Stephanie, how much meaning and motivation and mental health that you've given to my day. Oh, that's so kind of you. I likewise as well. I um, really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to be on our podcast. Um, last, last question, I promise. I do ask this one to everyone before um, the end. And the podcast name is Happy, Healthy and Hopeful. So all things that we touched on today. But what are you hopeful for going forward in 2021? And that can be either personally or um, for our community or globally. What are you hopeful for? I, I am hopeful that what we've gone through is broken us wide open to the power of community. I am someone who's very individualistic. I have to admit I'm a type A. I'm like full force. And because of the pandemic, I've had to rely on people in more ways than I ever have. So I hope that all of us has realized that we can't do it alone. We're not meant to do it alone. And research in health psychology on the, the hormone of oxytocin shows that the benefit of stress is we reach out to other people for support. So let us take those supports to a higher level and be transformed for it. So that makes me feel healthy hopeful and happy because I don't want to do it alone and the pandemic has taught me that I don't have to. That is so important. Reach out to people who are in your circle. They want to help. Um, Dr. DiNardo nailed that. So thanks again for being here. Um, And we are so appreciative of all the work that you do and the time you've given us today, Dr. DiNardo. You're making our community better and you're acting at that level where I think young people really need to hear the things that you're saying. So we are so appreciative for you and everything you do for our community. Well, thank you. And thank you for being so concise. It feels like it's been five minutes. And this is a nice break from marking papers. So thank you. You're an excellent interviewer. And this is just the beginning. Just the beginning. Good luck with the papers. (laughs) Thank you. I hope you were rejuvenated. I feel I'm going for that walk tonight. Thanks to you.